I want to talk to you about the home tonight. Okay, talk to you about the home. And I, you can turn to Genesis 16. It'll be a while before we get there. And we'll look at four or five different passages tonight. And um, we'll try to help you in some of your homes, especially young homes and young marriages and what have you. And I want to talk to you about the organizational structure in a home and how to communicate in your home where everybody belongs on the organizational flow chart. Okay. Uh, for there to be any order, there has to be structure, clearly defined positions and responsibilities and roles. Every church knows that, every school knows that, every business knows that. Somebody has to be the manager. Somebody has to be in charge of maintenance. And everybody has to know who they answer to in any organization that they are in. If a business does not have organizational structure, it creates a confusing work environment where nobody knows who they answer to. And so there has to be a clear communication of priorities. I think the best example of that is the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. If you ever want to study how important communication is, and there's a great lesson in there on the importance of communication and what happens in a relationship when communication breaks down. Because without an ability to communicate, that entire project came crashing down. It wasn't long before People started moving on to other things. That happens in a relationship. That happens in a marriage. When there is no communication, then the relationship is going to break down. And sometimes even people will move on to other people. And so organization, it, it is very, very important. You, you have a president and a vice president and district and regional and, and, and on and on. Uh, in the military, everybody knows that the private is under uh, the lieutenant and the vice president is under the president. You have to know who you answer to on the job. I, I like, um, e even here, I like for one person to be responsible for that one thing. So if something goes wrong, I go to that one person, that one person. Now they may have delegated it to somebody else, but I didn't delegate it to them. I delegated to you. You, you are the one that we're going to talk to. That's, that's, just, that's just how it goes. Well, in the home, you know, it's Christ, it's the husband, it's the wife, it's the children, it's the dog, and it just kind of goes on down from there. And it's not the order of importance, though Christ is the most important, but it's the role, it's the responsibility that everybody plays. We understand, and I, I don't have to say this, but the husband and the wife are equal. They, they are equal, but they serve a different role. They have different responsibilities. Now, let me just throw this in right here, and I, I don't want to preach long, so I can't chase rabbits, but, but, but when I talk about different roles and different responsibilities, that does not mean that you cannot share in responsibilities. Right. Right. Oh, you shouldn't have said right right there. <laughs> Set you up is what I did. So there's nothing wrong with the man to wash the dishes and do the laundry and sweep the floor. Right, right. You, you can share, you can share in responsibilities. Me and Parker, we washed a few dishes. Oh, I put them in the dishwasher. And, and 
We did a little straightening up kind of stuff around there. I put a load of clothes in the laundry and I ironed some clothes yesterday. I, I, it might be a while before I do it again, but there's nothing wrong with doing that. And so we understand that the children are not over the parents and the parents and your parents are not over the spouse. That there, there is an order. And I believe that order needs to be very clearly communicated. So tonight I'm going to give you five statements and I'll give you an example from the scripture from that. And it's not that you sit down and have a family meeting and say, all right, here is the flow chart. All right. I, I, I am at the top. All right. And, and wife, you are below me. No. But you communicate in that home the order, the structure, the priority in the home. So five statements, five statements. You ought to write these down because you are going to want to come back later and think about them. So statement number one is that you should communicate to your spouse that God is more important than them. Now, it's easy enough, right? That Christ is the head of the home. That the home exists as a place to serve and worship God together. And we are going to obey God more than anything else. We're not going to do things. We're not going to bring things into the home. We are not going to run the home in any way that is contrary to what pleases God. <laughs> and the husband knows the wife and the wife knows of the husband that has this as a first conviction that God has first place in this home. Right. Even above the spouse. Now, every one of us should desire to please our spouse. All right but not at the expense of pleasing God. Your spouse, your husband, your wife needs to know that in this home, God ranks higher than I do. And here's the reason why. Because what happens is a spouse may express a desire, put a little pressure, suggest something that is not best for the home, and you have to decide, am I going to please her or am I going to please God? Look at Genesis 16. Here's an example of it. Look at verse 1. Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. <clears throat> and Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Abraham has been promised a son, been promised a seed. In his old age, he and Sarah, Sarah has gotten impatient with God. And I'm not gonna, not gonna beat her up, but she makes a suggestion to Abraham. Would you agree with me? It is not God's will. It is not God's will. It is immoral. It is unhealthy. It is gonna cause a whole lot of problems. And Abraham knows that. And there is no way there is no way that Abraham <coughs> believed that this is the way that God intends to give us a seed. But you know, a wife can wear a man down. 
And he eventually just relents and gives in to the pressure. And then when it's done, here's what she said. She said, my wrong be upon thee. Well, how about my wrong be upon me? That, that doesn't seem fair. She says, she says, the Lord judge between me and the, she, she knew it was wrong. She now sees a problem it has created. And I don't know if she is saying that God's going to have to judge who was right or wrong or who has, I don't know exactly what she is saying. And it doesn't matter that they are both wrong and Abraham should have never went in unto Hagar. And now he has to be thinking, why did I do this? Why did I ever listen to Sarah? Why couldn't I have stood on my convictions and said no? But here's what you had in the home. You had two voices. You had Sarah and God's voice. And here's what Abraham did. He chose to put Sarah's voice over God's voice. In that moment, he allowed her will to supersede God's will. He decided that I would rather please my wife than to please God. And if God is the head of the home, that order has now been flipped because God's not the head of the home now. Sarah is the head of the home now. Do you realize that the most important person in the home now is Sarah because Sarah is the one that is calling the shots. That's why I say it's important to communicate to one another in a marriage that I love you, but I love him more. How many thousands, thousands of godly ladies has married an unsafe man and now there is this conflict of priorities. She has to walk this balance of pleasing her husband, which she should do, and pleasing God, but now there are competing wills there. And she may be asked to participate in something that violates her conscience, that violates her conviction. She may be asked to go to some places that she is not comfortable with. And now she's got to weigh this out. Or how about a man who's trying to walk with God, but he doesn't have a wife that's really a spiritual person. He wants to be spiritual. He wants to lead the home in a spiritual direction. But truth be told, she's just carnal. She's just worldly. And he's trying to have a Christian home, but his wife is pushing against the conviction that he want to have, has in the home. And he wants to love his wife, but he wants to love God. And, and, and it would be great if they could share spiritual things together. That's why there has to be a communication. Who is the most important in this home? It's not you. It's God is who it is. That's why I say, guys, the greatest gift that you can give your home is a husband and a father who has his priorities straight and says that God is the supreme person in this home and I won't do anything to please you that violates our relationship with God. Don't ask me to do anything that goes against the Bible. Don't ask me to do anything that's contrary to Bible principle. I love you, but I love God more. And I wonder if Abraham could have preempted this foolish suggestion by making it clear that if we have any suggestion like that, I'm not going to do it. We love one another. We love our spouses, but we all answer to a higher authority and God is first. I, I will always love you more than the world. I will always love you less than God. There's not a godly wife or a godly husband 
that wouldn't say amen to that. Communicate to your spouse that God is more important to you. Then secondly, I think it is important to communicate to your spouse that they are more important than the children. Now, the first is most relevant to the man. The second is more relevant to the woman because having children means more to the woman, obviously, because of the nine months of pregnancy and and, and that bond and that mother-child relationship is the strongest. And sometimes having children is kind of like a glue that, that ties the marriage together, brings the couple closer together. But children can add stress to a marriage as well. There can actually be friction that comes with the children in the home. And you very quickly, you very quickly learn that you have different approaches to parenting. Now, I know that when you were courting, you sat down and you talked about it, okay, or dating if you weren't Christian, okay, (laughs) whichever that we do, I don't know. And y'all talked about it and how many kids are we going to have and we're going to wait two years and all these plans that we had that didn't work out. And, And we talked about all this stuff, huh? And, and, and how we're going to discipline our children. But no matter how you talk about it, when the baby comes, we discover y'all have two different approaches. Because some people are very intense and strong and disciplinarians, and others are more relaxed and calm and laid back. I have two children that are very intense. They're high strong. Jacob and Megan, they're just, and they're strong disciplinarians. They bring their kids to my house to discipline them. Well, that's not right. No, don't do that at my house. There are no rules. You take your kids to your house and do what you want to do, but not here. But these two high-strung individuals ended up marrying two very laid-back, chilled-out people. Anna is not as High strung as Jacob. She's more chill. Thank God for her children's sake. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, he's more mellow. More mellow. Megan, she, she's very, very tight, very rigid. <laughs> now I will say this thing about my about my kids is they have done a great job with their children because their children are perfect. One of the things that can happen when children come into the home is there is a shift in domestic priorities. A lot of times, especially that first child, a lot of times that first child becomes top of the list for the mother and the father can sometimes feel like a bystander or a fifth wheel. Because mothers are notorious. They're notorious for replacing their husband with that naked little helpless baby. Huh? And, and even, and even, and, and they can even feel like that they have to protect the child from the father. You touch my baby, I'm, I'm going to kill you, huh? In fact, I don't even criticize my own children. They're grown, but I don't even criticize my own children to my wife. I, I'm not, I'm not going there, huh? That, that's, just, that's just, and, and some of that's instinctive. Some of it is, it, it, whatever. But it can create problems, is what it can. Look at Genesis 27. I'll show it to you. Look at Genesis 27. 
Genesis 27, verse 1, it came to pass that when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said to him, my son. He said to him, behold, here am I. He said, behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. Verse 5, Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison to bring it. Rebekah said unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, as she repeats it, verse 8, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And she comes up with this scheme. You know the story. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, Rebekah, his mother, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me. I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. The home of Isaac and Rebekah, it is a classic case study in dysfunction. Favoritism, both mom and dad have Favors. Rebecca favors Jacob and Isaac favors Esau. You know the story and what takes place of it. By the way, there's no indication that Isaac the father ever learned of Rebecca's part in the deception. He lives for another 20 years and he never brings this up. It never comes up in scripture between them. And maybe he knew, I think maybe he did know, he, he, he may ha have known, but, but he never says anything about it. And here's the thing about Rebecca. She would rather defraud her husband than deny her son. And Isaac, he has part in the dysfunction too, because if you'll back up to chapter 25 and verse number 28, chapter 25 and verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That, that seems like a strange statement. Why, why not just say that both parents loved both boys? And it's telling that as the boys grew, the parents began to favor one over the other. And Rebekah resented that Isaac always doted on Esau, so she overcompensated by pampering Jacob. And Isaac saw how that Rebekah was always putting Jacob over Esau and he made sure that Esau was never slighted. And the rivalry between the parents spilled over and it became a rivalry between the two brothers. And can't you see now that the order is out of whack? It ought to be God first, parents side by side and the children. But each parent has placed a child over the other parent and it is a hot and Isaac would discipline Jacob and Rebekah would intervene. And every time that Isaac did something for Esau, Rebekah made sure that Jacob got just as much, if not more. And that's why I say that parents should never take the side of a child over the parent in front of the parent. And I wonder sometimes if a spouse putting a child over another spouse is not the silent cause for so much divorce in our country. And I believe that you ought to strive to be a better spouse than a better parent. Let me say it again. You ought to strive to be a better spouse than a better parent because the greatest damage that you will do to your child is a dysfunctional marriage, not in imperfect parenting skills. Be a father 
first and a parent second. Ladies, I know that he is a moron and your children are perfect. I understand that. But the strongest homes are not where the parent-child relationship is strong. It is the home where the husband-wife relationship is the strongest. And as precious as the children are, they are not more important than the marriage. If you lose your marriage, there is a greater chance that you will lose your kids too. And there's a lot of couples that never did have a marriage. All they had was children. And then when the children grew up and got married and left, they were looking at each other like they were strangers, don't know each other. No, communicate to the spouse that you are more important than the children. Third thought, third thought. You'll enjoy this one. Communicate to your spouse that he or she is more important than the extended family. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now that's an interesting phrase, all right? This is the first marriage. And it's interesting, therefore shall a man leave a father and mother. It's in the context of Adam taking Eve as his wife, but Adam didn't have a father or mother to leave. So who's he gonna leave? So it's not written for Adam, it's written for us, but God thought it important enough to put it into the first marriage. Since Adam didn't have parents to leave, the emphasis is placed on the cleaving because cleaving is, 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 is so dependent upon leaving. Right. So, so make sure that your spouse knows that they are more important than extended family. And one man and one woman shall be one Flesh, not a man and his mother, not a man and his brother, no. It is one man and his wife. Now, if you are one flesh, here's what he's doing. He's making that relationship so close that there's no room for anybody to come in between. We, we are going to make this relationship so close that nobody, even father or mother, can come between us for this new relationship to thrive, an old relationship has to take a back seat. Marriage is intended to be a new thing, right? Amen. It is a new thing. It's not a duplication of an old thing. So a young couple gets married and they create their own home, their own house. It is a new bond. It is a new entity. It is a new family. And here's the thing. If your wife has to be just like your mother, she loses her identity. And if you expect him to do everything the way that your father did, then he loses his own identity. There is no woman that feels special when she's always compared to her mother-in-law. And there is no man that has any dignity or respect when he's constantly held up to the standard of your father. Marriage is not the combining of two families. It is the creation of an entirely new family. And now the spouse has the higher place in the home. When I gave Megan away to Andrew, okay, Andrew came and talked in the marriage and, and you know, here we go, here we go. 
All right. I think that Andrew and I have a good relationship. I think that we do. Okay. Now, I, you're not going to hear me get up in the pulpit and brag on him and what a good fellow. I'm just, this, that's not our relationship, right? We don't do that. Okay. We're not mushy. All right. I will always, I will always give him a hard time. I will never give him credit. Okay. It's just it's the nature of the game. But you know, if there was ever a conflict between me and Andrew, okay, I would expect Megan to take his side, if he's right. <laughs> which would be very doubtful. But in the wild hypothetical, if you can think of that, I would expect her loyalty to be to her husband, not her father. And don't you find it interesting that Genesis 2 gives you only one piece of advice for marriage? You think of all the things that God could have said at that first initial wedding. This would be a good place right here for Ephesians 5. Wives submit. That would have been a good place to put that right there. Husbands love, but wives submit. Wives submit. I, I, you know. But the first piece of advice that God gives them is you respect the newness of this relationship and you leave the old one to create the new one. So a husband has to communicate to his wife, you are more important than my extended family. doesn't mean that you disown them. Doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with your parents, but you do not allow them to come between this relationship. You can be loyal to your wife and your mother, you can be loyal to your father and your husband without dishonoring the other, but if there comes a choice, then it's this relationship. Does this make sense to you? Number four, write this down. Number four, write this down. Communicate to the children that God is more important than they are. Now we have communicated it to each other that I love God more than I love you. I'm not gonna allow you or anybody else to cause me to violate my conscience with God. I wouldn't wanna please you in order to displease him. But the children, they need to know that as well. Here's the reason why. Children come into the world thinking they own the place. Children come into the world and they think that parents are people that God put on the earth to take care of them and just to please them. Several months ago, my wife and I were flying up to New York for a marriage conference and we were flying up there and we sat in the back of the plane and across the aisle was, was a couple, I think it was a couple and they had a little child. You remember that kid? Remember that kid? And, and, and they were flying and this kid was, was I mean, this, this kid was a brat. It was bad probably four or five years old, and this kid screamed and cried and kicked, and I mean did everything, everything you could possibly do on that plane. And here's what I was, I didn't say it to them, but here's what I was thinking, please, please, for the sake of the world, don't have any more children. Please, all right? Because, because if your children are gonna act this way, you ain't happy, you ain't happy, and ain't nobody on this airplane happy, so please, please do not have any more children. If that's how your kids are going to act, then you just don't have kids and you just go live a happy life because there wasn't nobody happy. Nobody, nobody happy. I, I wasn't happy, that's for sure. Kid, kids come into the world, they think they own the place. And we all want to please our children, do we not? But not at the expense of pleasing God. If God 
does not rank higher than your children, then you will make major parenting mistakes. Wouldn't it be a shock to some children to be told that you don't run this joint? You are not in charge of the universe. That'd be a real blessing for some children. I'm not <laughs> preaching on it. Genesis 22, let me show you something here. Genesis 22, 22, let me show this to you. Genesis 22. Came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Said to him, Abraham, he said, behold, here I am. Here I am. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand and the knife. They went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. He said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Every time that I have ever heard that preached, every time that I have preached it, it has been preached as Abraham proving to God that God was more important than Isaac. God was testing Abraham. Abraham passed, passed the test, demonstrating to God that I will sacrifice anything for you. But I think it demonstrated to Isaac that God was more important to his father than he was. Going home that day from that mountain, there was no doubt in his mind that my father loves God. He loves me very deeply. But he loves God even more than me. Amen. And if our children need to know anything, they need to be assured of our unconditional love. Right. And I sometimes wonder, some children being raised in our independent Baptist churches, if they don't know that my parents love God, but they never tell me that they love me. Boy, they need to know that. And Isaac knew that his dad loved him, but now he knows that he loves God. He says, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lamb will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You know what he's doing? He is teaching Isaac the priority of worship. God is important in my life. Isaac could be a grown man by now, but he sees his father worshiping by the way, it raised questions. Where is the lamb? And when you worship, it'll raise questions in your children's mind. You have to be able to answer those questions. And when Abraham bound Isaac to the altar, there were two people that didn't want him there. Abraham and Isaac. But he's communicating to Isaac that sometimes we don't get our way. Sometimes God asks us to do hard things. And this doesn't diminish my love for you one bit. But I've told you all of your life that God is first. 
And I will do something that displeases you, even if it pleases God. This is what God said I had to do. You may not understand it. In fact, I don't even understand it, but I am going to obey God. Isaac didn't want to do this. I don't know if he resisted or submitted. I don't know, but he knew. Watch this. He knew that his father would sacrifice his own desires for God's desires. In fact, look at verse number 10. <coughs> verse 10. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God. The angel says, I know that you fear God. Do you know who else knows that? Isaac knows that. That God is more important to my father than even I am. He'll never ask his father to do anything that violates God's law because he knows that God is more important. God is the priority. The greatest gift that Abraham could give to him is to demonstrate to him that you are not the center of the universe. God is. Communicate to your children that God is more important to them. Number five, number five, I'm done, I'm done. Communicate to the children that the spouse is more important than them. Now, I've said communicated to each other in marriage. The spouse is more important than the child, but now that needs to be communicated to that child. Because sometimes Christians get things turned around and think God exists to bless us instead of us existing to please Him, that His pleasure is more important than. That, that, that my pleasure is more important than, than his pleasure. We get, to get things turned around. Little children can have that mentality as well. That, that their pleasure is the most important. So a child has to be taught that God is over you, but mom and dad is more important than you as well. The marriage, the marriage is more important than the children because you can have a home without children, but you can't have a home without marriage. So Genesis 21, last text, page back. Here's the story. Genesis 21 and verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice for in Isaac shall thy seed be called and also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Horrible situation, horrible circumstances. It's the fallout of Abraham putting his spouse before God. This is the fallout of that. This is a result of Abraham saying, I'll please Sarah instead of pleasing God. And now he has two women, has two children by two women, and it is a horrible mess. And, and it's very harsh because this conflict between Isaac and Ishmael 
spills over and it becomes a conflict between Sarah and Hagar. But in verse number 10, it creates a conflict between Sarah and Abraham. Now Sarah is in tension with her husband. Sarah's forgetting her role in all of this, but she comes to Abraham and she says, I can't live in this situation. You have to do something about it. It's not said over a romantic dinner. It's not said over a date. There is tension. There is conflict. There is frustration. There is agitation. And Abraham's part of this mess. Everything that he did was wrong. But it is when the conflict threatens the marriage that God comes to Abraham and says that you have to do something that is very hard. You have to choose your spouse over your child. Now again, it's, it's, a, it's an extreme case. You and I will never be in this situation. But there is no place in the Bible that ever condones you putting your child over your spouse. And it's not the thought that's running through Ishmael's mind at this time. But I can look at this and I can see that Abraham chose peace in his home rather than taking sides with his son. And again, you'll never be in this type of situation, but the principle holds the marriage is more important than the child. The spouse needs to know that. But the child needs to know that as well. That this marriage, this bond, that even I can't come between this bond. And I'm going to tell you that's not communicated, and here's the reason why. Most couples are willing to divorce their spouse, but not their child. They fight harder over custody than they do to keep the marriage together. And the order is out of whack. I, I would tell you, I'm, I'm 54, three kids. Eight grandchildren, six here, two in heaven. I'm kind of on the other side of this thing. I've raised my kids. I still got one at home. We're trying to get rid of him. But I'm on the other side. I'm on the other side of it. Okay. And, I, and I will tell you, I will tell you, 31 years, 32, three, 33 years of marriage, where we're at. Um, and and I'm, a lot of y'all, we're in the same boat. We've raised our kids. We've had our marriage. We've, we've done all of that. And, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you that there is great joy in a Christian home. Right. Having a strong marriage, having children that love God and serve God, and now the grandchildren and, and, and all of that, there's great, great joy in that. And, and, and for some of us, for some of us, we've, we've, we've raised our families and what's done is done and they are where they are and Maybe now all that you can do is pray for God to bring them back. Maybe, maybe like the family we saw, children serving God. I don't know where you're at. But for young families, for young families, man, make that home right. Make that home right. That marriage, that marriage, make that marriage right. God first in that home. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. God first in that home, raising those children. And I'm telling you, 20 years, 30 years, when they, when you get old like me, you look back on it and say, thank God what it did in our home. If you succeed at anything, Anna come, Jacob come, somebody come. If you succeed at anything, succeed in the home. Succeed in the home. I love pastoring the church. I love preaching out. But I'm going to tell you, that's not my greatest joy. 
My greatest joy is in that home. Let's stand together, would you?